Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the message. Well, good morning, church. You can grab a seat. If, uh, if you're visiting to the rim, uh, my name is, is Brad Hobbs. I'm not near as cool as Pastor Drew. However, I did roll my pants this morning to be like him. Thought I would just go like, you know, I was going to do my best like non-dad style, and this was all I had. So that, that's it. But uh, my, my wife and I love getting to be a part of this family, and uh, I, I get the, the privilege of kind of picking up from where we left off last week in the book of Ephesians, and so we're going to be there in just a second. But, but holy cow, I did not realize we had so many teachers as a part of this gathering. Like, how incredible is that? Uh, if you, there's a few of you who are excited about that. That means about probably 10 or 15 of you did not get a gift card uh, because we were all shocked. Don't worry. If you didn't get a gift card, would you just be, like, really bold and raise your hand? A couple of you, perfect. There's a guy right there, Chris Harl. Will you raise your hand? He'll give you his credit card. He's going to take care of all your supplies. So I, I'm just kidding, Chris. Thank you for being so generous in that. So I, I, I wish I had a picture of your credit card. I just put it up for everybody. But uh, hey, in, in all in all seriousness, uh, the room has has that for you, just not here. So if you'll see Pastor Drew at the end of the service to make sure you get your, your gift cards uh, for that, and that'll keep Chris and his wife on the same page and, and not upset with each other. Unless you had talked about that. I mean, did the Spirit give that to me? Okay, just, I didn't know if that was, okay. Well, good. Well, hey, uh, we, we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians. Last week, we started part two of this series called A New Humanity. And A New Humanity, really, that God designed the world in Genesis. We spent all summer, uh, working through the book of Genesis, really actually the end of the spring, that God created the world and he had this perfect, beautiful plan. And like three pages into the story, we figured out a way to mess it all up. Now, I mean, not, not really. He, he knew all that was going to happen, but we, we did. And from Genesis 3 until the 2,000 years ago, roughly, that we lived in this broken world, but Jesus actually comes down from heaven lives as a man to actually fulfill the great reality of, of creation, that he was going to come, and we use the word redeem. He was going to take everything that was broken, and he was going to make it new again. So we have this idea that we're a new humanity. But as we believe and we follow Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, and you're, an, you're part of the new humanity, there's all these pressures, and there's all these things that we have to wrestle through. Last week, we really talked about what does it mean to live not based on our ego and the anxiety that comes in trying to find our place in the world, but embracing the fact that Jesus has actually made us and spoken purpose and value and belonging to us before we ever showed up to the world. And this week, we're actually going to look at what does it mean for us as individuals, the uniqueness in how God made us to live and to lead at our highest and best as a part of this new humanity. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to read uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 6. It says this, 
Therefore, I, this is the Apostle Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Paul's setting the stage to really unpack. We're going to use the term like superpowers because I think God literally designed us and saved us to live these great full lives, not just surviving life, but actually to walk in his fullness and his power in every aspect of our life in every moment of the day. And Paul begins kind of this, this preamble, if you will, of what does it mean as the new humanity, God's church, to reveal God's glory to the heavens, as we spoke about last week. He first starts off that you have a spiritual position, and I want you to pick up on this word here, that therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling. This idea of calling is actually speaking to a position. And Paul's reminding the church that you have a position literally to rule and reign with Jesus, not based on your merit, but based on what he's already done for you. And so it's this reality that Paul's reminding the church, hey, you're really not good enough. You really can't take all the pressures in the world, but because of Jesus, he's given you this position and walk worthy of that position. It's in every role or every title. You know, we hear like uh, if you're on a, any social media platform, there's always that guy who's like, here are the 10 steps to get the job you ever wanted. And so you just scroll down and, and like 98% of it is, is not good. But 2% of it, there's like maybe some truth in it. But like the old adage of like, hey, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Like everybody's heard that, that thing. I don't know if there's any truth to it or not. I'm just rolling my pants like Pastor Drew, hoping I get to the next stage. And then, but, but here's, here's the deal. There's some truth to the reality that there are a lot of times we don't feel worthy enough to rule and reign with Jesus. And Paul is already saying, no, that's your position. You don't have to earn it. In fact, you can't even lose it. That's your position. It's yours. And so he's reminding the church. But I love this aspect. He actually talks about the posture of this position. And, and, and you look at this passage. He goes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here, here's the underlying, like, just philosophy behind what Paul is saying here. People are messed up and going to let you down and bother you and bug you. So get over it and put on the love of Jesus and learn how to live in unity with people. Like, the, the assumption of like this piece of like in your position, he's elevated this new humanity and people are just going to get on your nerves. Like people are going to say stupid things. People are not going to keep their word. People are going to lie. They're going to get angry. You're going to catch them at a bad moment. Your kid is going to push every single button. Like if you have a button, your kid just walks in like the elevator and pushes all of them. And he's saying, wait, wait, in this position, there's a posture. And then the posture of this is you actually put on 
gentleness and humility and patience, bearing with one another in love. That this, this picture, and, and I, I kind of tie back to last week because it builds on each other, was that the, the, ego, the ego of our culture and the ego of our mind says we need to be diverse and different. And the gospel says that we need to be diverse and unified. And the only way that all of this diversity can come together is if we actually look and go, man, we all have some, some jagged edges that we bring to the room. And we're going to have to work those out together. But we're going to do it with a posture of gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. He also, in this kind of preamble right here, says there's a purpose for this. And the purpose for this is ultimately, you see, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That Jesus very, very easily could have made us all the same. And like a nice little puzzle pieced us all together and everything would have worked out just, just lovely. And we would have missed out on the beauty and the journey of learning the beauty of God's love in us and through us to the people around us. And so he literally goes, hey, look, the purpose for your position and this posture is so there would be unity of the spirit. And last week we looked in Ephesians chapter 3 so that the heavens would know the power and the glory of God. The final thing that we see right here, and, and, and we're kind of breezing through this, is that as we build unity together, there's some stipulations to that unity. It's not a unity for we just embrace anything and everything that goes, but the, the last half of this preamble is just, it's a theological reminder all right, the, what, what is our truth? And he goes, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. That Jesus is reminding that this, this new humanity is not just where anything and everything goes. That there is a very specific way in which he has crafted this new humanity and it is for those who have put their their trust and faith and following after him as king and lord and that that have submitted to his his rule of life his rhythm of leading and so we don't we don't walk in and and here's why this is important about to like unlock some really cool things here Paul is reminding the church that as we grow together, there is a way in which we grow together, and there's a reason for why we grow together. But here's what happens oftentimes. In a church like this, a body, everyone speaks, but not everyone is heard. And I want you to, I want you to unpack this, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, because in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11... Paul says, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we reach, we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a statue measured by Christ's fullness. That as we grow together in this like unified way, 
that God has actually named and gifted us in very unique ways for the purpose of us growing together for building each other up. The problem is, is that if you are, don't know your gifts and you're not aware of how to activate your gifts, then the body actually struggles to grow unified. So what I want us to do is we, I want us to look at this, kind of unpack this piece that he gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I don't know about you, but if I walked into my work and I said, hey, I'm a gifted apostle, most people would like, uh, run me out of the room. A- anybody else that true in your job? Like if you're like, I am the prophet. <laughs> like we, yeah, we, we make like jokes, like we all smirk about that. So what I want to do today is I want to use some language because these were not just gifts from the body gathered together. These were the gifts that God gave the church that as you were in your place of vocation, that as you were in your home and as you were in your school, that you would be able to use these gifts as a way to to build up the church and to grow in unity with each other. The problem is, is that if we don't know how God has gifted us and we don't create a place for people to actually exercise their gifts, then we actually miss out on growing together and fulfilling our purpose. So what I want to do with some of this language is I want to introduce five words to you all right, that will coincide together, all right? I, w- I want you to see this word in Ephesians chapter 4. It uses the word shepherd or pastor. We're going to use the word nurturer, all right? And then the second one, if, if you see in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it says the word teacher. We're going to use the word creative. Here's our favorite, the prophet. If you see prophet in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to use the word guardian. The, the, the fourth gift in this space, the evangelist, we're going to use the connector and the apostle, the pioneer, all right? I, I'm not sure about you, but when I, when I sit in my office and I sit on Zoom calls with people, this translates a little bit better than me going, I am the pioneer prophet that you've been waiting for, right? So we're just going to use some, or, or excuse me, the apostle prophet that we've been waiting for. So we're going to use some language to help unpack uh, and activate these gifts, all right? So for, here's what we're going to do. At this moment on, like, this is going to be, like, in uh, no other Sunday at the realm. So I need you to, like, talk to me a little bit. We're going to work through some things because what I want you to do is I actually want you to go, how has God gifted me and what role do I play to build up the realm, the local body of the church in San Antonio, and to fulfill and to live at my highest and best? There are a few warning labels, though, that we need to look at before we talk about these. Your voice, whether you're the the nurturer, you're the guardian, you're the connector, pioneer, creative, you actually have all five voices in you. God did not just give you one and say, this is the only thing you do, but that our goal in growing in maturity, we read in verses 13, is to grow into the fullness of Jesus, that all five of these will be present in our life. Secondly, some of these are going to be more natural than others. Maturity allows you to bring your ever, the right voice to the right circumstances at the right moment. Fourthly, your nature, like how God designed you. Psalm 139 sewed you together before your parents were even aware of you. All right, That's your nature. But there's some nurturing 
We'll call the nurturing all the oughts and shoulds and pressures of life, like where you grew up, where you went to school, how your parents raised you, your first job. Those are all the things that have shaped your, uh, literally your nature, excuse me, your nurture. Your nature is how God wired you. Your nurture uh, is all the things that have pressured you. The final thing is your choice. Like the decisions you have made have actually impacted the way that these gifts play themselves out. The, the fifth kind of warning label before we kind of like unlock the, the box of the superpowers is uh, don't assume you know somebody else's voice. Because what happens is we can, we can actually put people in a coffin and they live to be somebody that God did not design them to be instead of being exactly who God created them to live at in their their highest and best. And the final thing here is your voice is not your identity. Okay? Which means this. You don't get to hide behind it when you do something foolish. All right? And you don't get to hide behind it when you're a jerk. It also means it doesn't make an excuse to go, and I'll just, I'll be honest with you, like, I'm a pioneer. Um, My last voice is a nurture, which means I have no warm fuzzies about me at all. That doesn't give me an excuse not to be caring and compassionate because as I grow in the maturity of Jesus, I learn to be caring and compassionate towards the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. All right, everybody good? All right, so here's where we go. The nurture. The nurture. This is, these are the characteristics of the nurture. They intuitively feel how an organization will react to a new idea. They defend values and people will always come before profit. They function as the relational oil inside teams and organizations. They are pragmatic realists who ask, has this really been thought through? All right? So I am, uh, I am married to the nurturer, the world's greatest nurturer. I am an idea guy. Anybody married to an idea guy? Yeah, a couple of you. All right? Some of you are like, so, so, so my wife is the, like, great idea assassin, all right? (laughs) My wife has saved more people from my bad ideas than heaven could ever be able to tell because she intuitively goes, hey, have you really thought how that's going to impact? Now, she does it in this kind, gentle way because she's keeping the relational oil in our marriage, like, really good and healthy, but, like, she actually asks those questions, They take genuine delight in celebrating the achievement of others. You'll always watch a nurturer. Like, they're not in it for themselves. They want to cheer everybody on. Like, the nurturer is like the person that has, like, a bag beside them, and they know everybody's birthday. They have the perfect, like, uh, gift for every person. They fought through all these things. They're just like, oh, they're just the best people in the world. You just come feel like they sit down with you. They listen because they care about you. They're, they're natural team players, and they become overly resistant to change and demonstrate passive-aggressive tendencies. And these last two are combined together. They, they're tied together. They rarely value the contributions they make. Nurturers will rarely speak up in a room to challenge an idea because they need to keep relational harmony. They actually um, oftentimes are the, the, 
the smallest voice in the room and they kind of slip in the back and they hang out in the back and they'll do whatever the team needs, but they rarely step up to lead because they doubt their own ability. All right, where, where's, all, where's all my green nurtures in the room? Like if you said nurtures green or green with a hint of yellow, like I'm going to do something that's going to make you feel really uncomfortable, okay? I, I want you to stand up, all right? Like come on nurtures, like n- everything in you, like you may have liked me, I just asked you to stand up and now you hate me, all right? <laughs> Nurturers, I, I, want you, I want you to stand up because I'm going to read this to you. And if you look, about 43% of the room, give or take 5%, we, we need you. We need you to lead. We need to beat you to be who God made you to be. I want you to watch out for that you have a, a natural fear of conflict. And when you, you think conflict will come into the picture, you'll actually be quiet. And yet you represent the vast, you're the largest representation of any of the gifts, any of the voices. You actually have the ability to help us navigate change better than anybody else. And so when we, we look at who God's wired you to be. We need you to show up. We need you to take an active role. Those around you, if you'll look around, if you're not standing, I want you, how do I empower a nurturer to be who God made them to be? In a room, always let them speak first. They're, they're afraid that you're going to disagree with them, so let them speak first. Affirm their competency often. Find the very specific things that they're great at and tell them. And then we, we also want to constantly remind them of how their contribution makes a significant difference. And we love the fact that they care about people over profits and processes and systems. You're also the people that when we have a bad day, you help us clean up our wounds. You're the ones who help our kids when we're, we're frustrated and tired with them naturally put the arm around them and say, hey, you can keep going. It's going to be okay. And so when we talk about the body of Christ, let me just confess, you're rarely on a stage and you're rarely in public, but we need you to lead and we need you to lead well. All right, y'all give it up for our nurturers. Y'all sit down. All right. Uh, Second voice, the creative voice, let me just go ahead and say creative is the most uh, misunderstood of all of the roles that we see in the body of Christ because, uh, you look at this, they're the champion of future ideas. They constantly live in the future. They're constantly innovating. But then also this, they want to make sure that the organization is living out their core values. Here are the descriptions of the creative. They're conceptual architects and love to think outside the box. You want to cripple a creative? Give him a playbook and say, go do this exactly. He will either kill you or be like, yeah, okay, okay. And then he's going to go do something completely different and come back and be like, hey, I know what you gave me was good, but this is great. They function as the early warning radar systems for teams, often seeing opportunities before anyone else. 
It's like this weird sixth sense that God has gifted them with. And so if you, you want to know what's like good ideas, not every idea is a good idea, but you want to know what's going to happen in the future, you find the creative and they have this innate ability to just kind of understand opportunities that are coming. They're never satisfied with the status quo. They inherently believe things can always be better. They're internal perfectionists. Like, they're the people when you go, hey, how's that project coming? You're like, man, we got a long way to go. Well, like, we've been working on it for six months. How much longer do we have? Like, well, we're about 98%, but, uh, man, we got to get the last 2% before it's ready. You're like, come on, let's get this thing going. The creative is constantly like, we've got to get this thing right. If the vision is compelling... The word can't is not in their vocabulary. They will give all of their mental capacity to make a vision happen, all of their energy if they believe in it. They often struggle with the fact that people never seem to fully understand my ideas. You're creative if you've ever sat in a meeting and you said something and then um, uh, everybody goes, yeah, okay, and they just kept going on with the meeting. And then six months later, Joe walks into the room and Joe goes, hey, guys, I know what's going to happen to revolutionize the future. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And everybody's like, Joe, you are brilliant. We're going to give you a raise. We're going to give you a bonus. We're going to give you this role. And if you're creative, you're like, I said that six months ago. And everybody's like, no, you didn't. Like, we didn't. We didn't hear you. Because the first thing out of a creative's mouth is usually not the sharpest thing. It's, it's literally a gold nugget wrapped in rock. And so you actually have to, like, undo all the rock and the dirt to clean it up and, like, Oh, that is gold. So they, uh, they exhibit a strong social conscience and desire for personal and organizational integrity. Rarely will you find a hypocrite, uh, a hypocrite that is creative because they cannot stand, like, if they are, the stress internally is driving them insane because they have to live out their organizational and personal values. Being eternal perfectionists, they often fail to celebrate the 90% that has been achieved. Focusing instead on the 10% that wasn't. All right, here's, here's what we've got. Creatives, nurturers represent 43% of the population. Creatives, much smaller sect. You love that, that aspect about you. Uh, only 9% of the population that we, we can trace down are, are really gifted as a primary creative person. All right, so let's raise your, raise your hand, show of hands. Who's a creative? Yeah, yeah, very proud. Yeah, go ahead and clap for them. Can you give it up for our creatives? All right, creatives, let's stand up. Let's, let's, let's unpack you. All right. Creatives, not only are you champion of future ideas and innovation, you have to watch out for your, your inability or your struggle to communicate clearly and effectively, your, your internal perfectionist radar will oftentimes cripple you from bringing your best to the table. Trust me, if you're a creative in this room, your, your 60% is most of the time better than the world's 98%. So we, we bring it to the table. We work through it. The second aspect of this God literally holds the world in his hand. He does not need you to perfect his world. He needs you to step into it and live in the power and the gifting that he's made you, which is going to be beautiful and it's going to change the future and it's going to revolutionize the way that we live and think. 
But the beauty of this superpower is it only gets, it only gets turned on when you're connected to the source, the creator and the designer of all things. Stay connected to the source. If you look around our, our creative teams, how do we empower them, our creative people? How do we empower them? Don't judge them for what they say first. Just go ahead and give them a card. It's probably going to sound stupid. All right? So what do we do when they speak and, and you can see the wheels are turning? You go, hey, could you tell me more about that? And if it's one of those conversations where you only have a brief moment, you say, hey, could we unpack that at a later date? If you railroad their idea in the beginning, you actually keep yourself, your family, and your team from experiencing the creativity and the future of changing the world. Let them know it's okay to be wrong. That that your relational value to them does not change if they're wrong. You're good. You missed it. Okay, we learned some things. Let's keep going. All right, y'all give it up for our, our creatives. All right, this is, this is the guardian. This one has a special place in my heart. I feel like I attract guardians in my life. And so uh, champions of due diligence, resources, efficient systems, and processes. All right, we equate this to the prophet in Ephesians chapter 4. The guardian, all right, they have a relentless commitment to ask difficult questions. All right, I have several in my life, including my oldest daughter, we, we're going to ask lots of questions. The second one, they will always seek to honor the past as teams look forward to the future. Guardians will always go, hey, before we move forward, we need to stop and we need to reflect. Now, not only is what God done in the past, but, but the work that's been put in and the way that God moved, we, we need to stop and we need to reflect. Thirdly, they accept as personal the commitment to deliver projects on time and on budget. If you give a guardian a task and say, this needs to be done in six months, and this is the budget to do it, they're going to deliver it. If they can't, like, they will work night and day to make it happen. They will pull out all the stops because their their gifting is tied to the ability to be accurate and to deliver. They detach the ability, uh, excuse me, they have the ability to detach decision-making from personal sentiment. Right? If you're an emotional person, like we all have emotions, but like we little like take a little bit of offense. Let me just call it. If you're a nurturer, a creative, or a connector, right? And you go to a to a guardian and go, "Hey, um, I really like my heart is all in this. This is the future. I want to do all this." The guardians can go, "Hey, look, I love you. The budget doesn't hold that. We're not doing it." We're like, yeah, but we're no longer friends if we don't do it. The budget doesn't hold it. I've got to make decisions on the budget. We can't do it. Now, let me, let me break this down into like a marriage. Like, you guardians in the room, like, if, if you're married to a guardian and they're healthy, give them the checkbook. Give them all the budgets because they're going to pay everything on time. You're going to stay under budget. You're going to meet and, and, and regulate everything in that world. They're going to run your calendar well. But they'll, they'll also... They'll actually keep you from falling into traps because they'll always watch your back because they're not tied to the emotional aspect of it. They're tied to what is good and right in their decision-making. They're naturally risk-averse. 
asking, is it worth the risk and investment? If you have a new idea, the first person you want to go to is probably not a guardian. If you want to know if it's smart, it's going to last, and people will catch on, they're going to ask you great questions to make you think through, have we thought about this? Have we worked through this? Um, if, if you run a company, like every project manager you have and every person in your finance office doing your payroll, you want in this world. They respect value, logic, order systems, and repeatable processes. You know, hey, I need you to track down why, how this, this room actually comes to being on a Sunday. A guardian will be able to bullet point everything that. You'll come back with a 10-page paper and be like, this is the process. Every cable, every cord, it's wrapped, it's color-coded, it goes on this box, this shelf. This is where we put it. It should go on at this time. If it doesn't work, here are the backup systems. All right? Their desire for truth and right decisions can override their feelings of others. We've, we've talked about that just a, just a little bit. All right, um, guardians, I, I know you're not going to enjoy this, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand, and let's, let's get a good, like, face, all of our guardians. Let's, y'all give it up for our guardians. <laughs> guardians, much like the nurturer, you save the world from a lot of really stupid ideas. Right? You, you keep us out of jail and in compliance. You must watch out for being so risk averse that you're unwilling to move into the future. Understand that in your effort to ask good questions and to make sure that the details are in order and that we can follow through, most of the voices perceive you as being negative and can be excessively critical. And so when we understand this, we begin to work through the fact of a lot of our body language and posture and the way that we ask questions is really important. Because our goal is not to get whatever is done right. Remember, the goal of this was that we would grow together by the bond of peace into the unity of the body of Christ, this new humanity growing together. But we say that, we need you to keep us out of jail. We need you to keep us close to God's word. We needed you to keep us close to saying, hey, we said that we were going to do X, Y, and Z. And that's not being a good steward of what we, we set out to do. We need you for that. So those, that are, those of you who have uh, uh, guardians um, and you're... Uh, Around you, and your family, on your team, here's how you empower them. Welcome their challenging critique. And here's what you do. Say, I'm about to share something with you. I'm going to put my body armor on, and I need you to ask me, like, the three to five questions that you think are most critical right now. And I need you to, I need you to help me think through this. You actually empower them by saying, hey, I don't know how to do this diligently and to make sure this is going to last. Can you help me? Guardians are waiting. If you're, if you're not the guardian voice, the guardian voice is literally waiting to help you succeed. You just have to ask them. They're not out to get you. They're out to see that you win. <laughs> but you have to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, can you help me? If not, they're going to sit back and go, hey, that guy's a fool. It's about to drive this thing off a cliff. 
So guardians, the body of Christ needs you. We need you at your best. We need you to keep going on. We need you to make decisions, remove from the emotions, understanding what God has said in his word, what the values are of we as a family, we as a people, and remind us of what it means to steward this, this grace and God's goodness well in this world. So show up. Bring your best questions. Make sure that we, we go and we go on well and right so that we don't burn out quickly, but that we run with a, a patience and an endurance that actually last. And we will be so much better and so much sweeter. And so few less of us will be in prison because of you. All right, y'all give it up for our guardians. All right, we got, we got two voices left. All right, these two voices are the loudest voices of the two. All right, so just, just get ready. Um, the, the connector. The connector is the champion of relational networks, internal collaboration, and effective communication. Here are the characteristics of the connector. They are persuasive and inspirational communicators. They can rally people to a cause as long as they believe in it. They are the world's greatest, most natural salesmen. Saleswomen. Like, give them something they believe in, and everybody in this room will be buying it. Now, I want you to think about the beauty of that. We have people who are thinking about the future. We have people who are caring for the body and making sure there's relational harmony. We have people who are making sure that there's like, like systems and processes and that we're actually working in a, in a manner that's efficient. And then we have people that are naturally gifted at connecting people to the beauty of the gospel. Like it's as if God designed us with a plan to reconcile the world. And that they would experience, the world would experience something beautiful and great. They are incredibly resourceful. They literally, if you ask a, a, a connector if they know anybody who could do X, Y, and Z, uh, they go, hang on a second. I met a guy 15 years ago. I'll call him right now. I'm sure he'll take care of it. They, they have the capacity to maintain a large number of relationships. Connectors typically have 15 best friends, one in every city that they've ever lived in or ever visited. I, I, I loved on this. Um, can, I, can I poke? Our, our pastor is like connector extraordinaire, right? If y'all didn't put that together. Like one of the most gifted communicators in the world. I love last week. Uh, I, I was, last week you said I was your best friend in San Antonio. But I know, I know who his best friends are in Atlanta and Washington and Dallas and Austin. Like, like to, to be the best friend of a connector just means like you live in proximity and they like you. All right? So uh, they, they need appreciation and credit for making key connections. All right? And so if, if you, a connector goes, so this is what a connector loves to do. Hey, uh, Sarah, you need to meet Erica. Sarah, you're working on this. Erica, you're working on this. Y'all are going to make a perfect team together, and you're going to change the world. I know it, and I can feel it. Now, here's, you want to, like, kick a connector in the face? Erica goes, thanks, Drew. They go make, like, a billion dollars, and no one ever comes back and says, hey, Drew, thanks for making that connection. Sarah, on the other hand, goes, hey, Drew, um, you know what, about 10 years ago, you connected me with Erica, 
And we actually dreamed about this business that was going to impact uh, uh, the, the foster care system, and we created this business, and the business is doing really well, and we're actually helping, you know, 100 kids out of the foster care system uh, every year, and if you wouldn't have made that connection, that would have never happened. Like, you want to just, like, leap all, heap all the love on a connector? That's all it takes. Just thank them for the connections they've made, their, their skill, their competence. They are, uh, their people-pleasing tendencies mean they often struggle to bring effective challenge and they often struggle to hear or engage fully with critical feedback. So if you, you're married uh, or you're raising a connector or you work with a connector, if you have to bring a tough critique, pick your battles wisely, but then also say, hey, I need you to put on your armor because I've got to say some things that are pretty direct. I love you. This is not your heart. Because the connector cannot, cannot bifurcate their personal life, their work life, their family life, their church life, their emotions, their competency, it's all welded together. And so if you, you critique them, it's like saying, you are the worst person in the world. I cannot believe you woke up today. <laughs> like, that's how a connector takes, you're like, hey man, I was just asking you to tuck your shirt in. We have a company policy. <laughs> like, so understanding not only the gifts that the connector brings, but how we communicate with them allows them to live and operate at their best. All right, so the, so the connector voice, the connector voice represents 11% of the population. Here's why. The connector would have every person, if, if there were more than 11% connect, 11% of us connectors or evangelists in the world, like, we would have no money, we'd be broke, because there'd be so many people selling us things and making us believe that if we bought it, it would radically change our life. So we just buy it. Like, the, the connector person is that, I've got the thing, because I believe in it, that is going to, to shape your the future, and you've got to be a part of it. Also, the connector makes the best dinner reservations. And here, here's, here's why. If you ever know a connector and you go, hey, where should we eat? The connector has thought through, man, this is the vibe they like in a restaurant. This has the great, uh, you know, just kind of environment in the room. The food is quick. It's great. You know, they've got a great a four-course meal. It's the right driving distance. You go, okay, so knowing what I know about you, this is the one place you must go eat. And they'll stake their life on that, that recommendation. All right. I love me some connectors. Who's the connectors in the room? Who are the connectors? Oh, hey, look. If, if you're not proud to be a connector, I doubt you're a connector. All right? So, like, <laughs> like here's the deal. Like, wear proudly. All right, connectors, get up. You've been waiting for this all morning. Get up. Get up, connectors. There's... There, there's no such thing as an introverted connector. Connector, here's what we got. You're the champion of relational networks, internal uh, and collaboration and effective communication. You're at your best when you're working with a group of people that are highly competent, moving quickly, and working on things that you believe in. You must watch out for that when people challenge your idea or even don't respond with the same excitement that you do, not to take it personally. 
Most, most connectors live in the highs and lows, struggle to, to balance. And here's the deal. That's not a bad thing. Just understand that a challenge isn't the end of the world. Remember, those guardians are making sure your ideas are actually going to make it. Those nurturers are making sure you don't destroy all of your relationships in trying to create the future. Those creatives are helping you be like, hey, this is good. We got to get it a little bit better before we can talk to other people about it. So watch out for how do you empower them, right? The typical conversation with a connector is going to last 70 minutes. Just, just get ready for it. It's not a fast conversation. So you sit down and you create space and you go, hey, tell me your ideas. I want you to like, like sell me on the dream. Like I'll mortgage the house, sell me on it. And I want to give you space for that. I want to show you and show them, hey, your ideas mean like, man, they're great. We, we, we guard ourselves from using the words but and however with connectors. We actually lean in. We go, you know what? Y- you, want to, you want to build, you know, this empire? And what if the empire, like, you know, we, we rescued women from trafficking as well? And, you know what? What if we gave those women jobs? And what if, what if we took those jobs and we actually funded them? And we kept scaling them and we kept growing. It's the and helps the connector grow. Helps them actually articulate their dream. They're verbal processors. So if you're married to a connector, if you want to know what God's doing in their heart, you've got to create space and just say, hey, tell me what you're dreaming about. And you know immediately if their heart is in an unhealthy space. Because if there's no dream and there's nothing they're excited about, you know that's your moment to press in and go, hey, let's, and let's, let's see what's going on. All right, connectors. Y'all give it up for them. All right, last one, pioneers. Um, if, if you haven't been green on all the other four, this is it. You're green, pioneer. Um, <laughs> here's the deal about pioneers. This is why pioneers go last. They're the only people in the room that do not have to be empowered. They've already empowered themselves. All right, let's, well, let's give it some detail. All right, pioneers, they approach life with an anything is possible attitude. You want to get a pioneer going? Tell him it can't be done. Tell her, nope, not possible. They will figure out a way just to prove you wrong. Visioning and shaping a scalable future is always the highest priority. When the connector comes with a dream, the creative, a nurturer, a guardian comes to work through things, it's never going to stay the same because the pioneer is going to try to make it bigger and better. Bigger and better. Their strategic military thinking makes them incredibly effective in taking resources and putting them in the right spaces for maximum and optimum capacity. Winning is a massive driver. Let me, let me rephrase that. Winning is the only driver. We're going to win in our relationships. We're going to win at work. We're going to win in our marriage. We're going to win with our kids. Whatever, if there is... Even if it's impossible to make it a competition, we're going to figure out a way to make it a competition so we can win. Isn't that right, pioneers? We're going to do book studies and just read the book faster than you so that we could win. 
They're powerful communicators using logic and rationale to provide an attractive and compelling vision of the future. The immature pioneer can often appear very arrogant with a me-focused agenda. The unhealthy pioneer has what they call the boomerang effect. In every conversation, the conversation always comes back to them. They quickly dismiss the contributions of those they don't believe to be competent or experienced. Like, probably more than any other gift that the apostle pioneer, like just that reminder, there's a posture in which God gave us these with gentleness and humility. Pioneers are the ones that architect the next steps. They're also the ones that have very little emotional, relational, like, let me just, they just don't care about people, they care about winning. And if you can help me win, I care about you. The moment you, like, become a nuisance, I'm going to run you over. It's funny until you get run over by one. (laughs) All right, all right. So, pioneers, 7% of the population They usually rise to leadership the fastest and stay there the shortest. Pioneers, 7%, they they quickly rise to the top in in business worlds and executive worlds because their ability to communicate vision and think like a military strategist. But pioneers have to understand that there's more to winning than just achieving, that there's actually this people component that God designed us for, that we to leverage our gifts so they can win. Uh, let's, let's, let's go here. Champions of strategic vision, results-focused, and problem-solving. You're the loudest person in every room. It doesn't mean your volume is the loudest. It's just when you speak, you just assume that you are correct and right, and it shuts everything else down. There, there, were, there were too many, like, wives chuckling with that. Um, <laughs> pioneers this is what you have to watch out for. You lack sensitivity, the ability to not just listen, but to truly empathize with people. You can be perceived just by the way that you walk and you carry yourself as, as arrogant. So how do we actually empower the pioneer? You don't have to. <laughs> you literally... And all joking aside, a pioneer, if there's a void of leadership, will rise to the occasion. A pioneer is going to find ways to build. They're going to find ways to scale. But what you do do is you come beside them and say, hey, the way that you do that, your competency is masterful. The way that, the way that you just designed that to work is incredible. I didn't, know, I didn't think it was going to be able to, like, you're going to be able to pull it off, and you did. The way that you did X, Y, and Z in such a short amount of time is amazing. So if you're married to a pioneer, you've got to give them space to build. You've got to remind them most of the time verbally of their competency. And just understand they are motivated by winning. So help them win. Help them win at the things that matter. If you're a pioneer in this room, the body of Christ needs you because you're the ones that are willing to take big risk. You're willing to go out and say, hey, let's go try this. And because of my ability to align resources, we're going to pull off all the best people and we're going to go do it. It's going to be amazing. 
Nobody else believes you. Nobody else sees it, but you see it and you believe it and will follow you because of that. Don't stop leading forward. You're the ones that kind of pull the, the inertia of the status quo into the future. So we need you. If not, we sit here and we become really cozy and enjoy the great space that God's given us and forget that God created us for a mission. That mission is to go and, and extend his kingdom into every corner, to every office building, into every school. Y'all give it up for our pioneers. All right, here, here's, here's what, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework, all right? If you take your colors, you can put them in order, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, oddly enough, there are only 16 combinations that you can come to uh, in that space. Don't ask me how the math works. It just works, all right? Um, if you were here last week, I just told you my math. Just trust, trust the science on it, right? Um, here's, here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to think through based on our conversation today and even processing, what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ and to bring your best so that we are unified by the bond of peace? I love this. The bond of peace is actually Jesus saying, I will take care of all your messes if you'll just submit to, to my leadership. The word unity that we read earlier in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter one, and excuse me, Ephesians four, and Ephesians four, verse thirteen, the word unity is the only time the word unity is used in Scripture in this form, in the Greek form. It, it actually means oneness, oneness. So this week we talked about becoming aware and how do we activate our gifts inside the body of Christ to be who God made us to be and to live out His highest and best, so that we grow together in this posture. Next week, we're going to actually look at what are, the, what are the conflicts and the kryptonites that keep us from being who God made us to be based on how he's wired us in Ephesians 4. And Ephesians chapter 5 actually walks through all the relational environments that we live through. And we're just going to unpack it. This is where Satan will take you out. This is where he'll try to take you out. And this is what's keeping you and holding you back from being who God designed and wired you to be. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.